I understand Americans are anxious, and they're anxious for good reason. I was raised in a household when the price of gasoline rose precipitously. It was the discussion at the table. It made a difference when food prices went up. But we've never seen anything like Putin's tax on both food and gas. Today's inflation report confirmed what Americans already know. Putin's price hike is hitting America hard. Gas prices at the pump, energy and food prices account for half of the monthly price increases since May. Welcome to Gold Silver Pros, where you'll learn the ins and outs of the gold and silver markets. Searching for the best precious metals deal? Our affiliates are of the utmost trust, quality, and highest customer service in the industry. Shop with our trusted partner, Arc Silver. Access special deals on silver, gold, and platinum through our website, or call 307-264-9441. Hey everybody, this is Rob Keynes at GoldSilverPros.com. It is June 16, 2022. I have a returning guest to the program. It is Dave Kranzler of Investment Research Dynamics, and I brought him on to do a couple of things. First of all, to talk about the crazy Fed, you know, after the announcement yesterday and the rate hike, but also talk about inflation. What is the really the cause of the inflation? I think Dave has a really good explanation for that. How are you doing today, Dave? Doing well. It's good to be back on here. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good myself, surviving the 100 degree heat here in Texas, but we're not alone because you guys are getting it also. So it's, it's hitting everybody. Yeah. And my air conditioning went on the blink during the peak of it. <laughs> oh, well, that's no fun. <laughs> You're breaking out the ice cubes from the fridge trying to stay cool, I take it. <laughs> doing anything. <laughs> Sleeping naked. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's a good picture to put in the minds of our audience. But um, <laughs> it's a bad visual. <laughs> yeah. So we had we have the Fed, you know. I, I kind of feel for him. I kind of don't because the history of the Fed has been to screw things up and go on this fiat printing cycle. You and I have talked about a bunch of times. I kind of feel bad now for the guys that are there now because even though I, you know, they're on the wrong side of it, they're going to get the brunt of it, man, because things are about to get a lot worse in my opinion. They're, they're, they're doing what they think they should do, but the conventional policy tools, I don't think are going to work this time around, but they announced a three quarter percentage point increase, 75 basis points. They're supposed to taper off their purchases. I haven't looked to see if they actually have on June 1st, but they're getting much more uh, restrictive. And I think originally they were going to do maybe quarter points, go up to maybe 1.8%. They're now targeting 3.4% federal funds rate at the end of the year. It's much more aggressive. That happens to be the number that falls within the range of what I've seen most analysts say would break. Uh, the bond market at that point, because we know every half point or so leads to maybe an additional 900 million, I'm sorry, 900 billion or trillion dollars of servicing. So, you know, they can only go up so far. I don't think they're going to catch the CPI rate of 8.5 um, because then the, there effectively would be no, no lending at that interest rate, given this environment, I think. I don't know, Dave, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Is the Fed doing what they can? Um, should they be doing more or what is your view? They're not even close to doing what they can. Mm -hmm. uh, but the problem is if they if they did what they should be doing, it, everything would collapse. The markets would collapse. The banking system would collapse. The economy would completely collapse. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is. They they need to reverse all of the QE that they've done at least since 
March 2020 mm -hmm. and, and probably further back because yeah. it, as we were discussing earlier, what people think of as inflation is price inflation. But by the time the price inflation is, is, is affecting people and you can observe it, the real inflation has already occurred and that's mm -hmm. the inflation of the money supply. Now it's it's the inflation of the money supply in excess of marginal economic output, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, theoretically, let's just say the money, the dollar is supposed to represent, you know, the stock price of the U.S. economy, and and um, the money supply that the Fed creates is supposed to be backed by wealth output, right? Rather than gold. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, we don't need the gold standard. You know, we, we can just, we can taper the money supply to the ebb and flow of the GDP. And, and so what's happened is the money supply, especially since 2008, but really since 1971, the money supply has grown well in excess of the rate of wealth output. And so mm -hmm. essentially, just simplistically, you have more dollars chasing a lesser amount of relative goods. And as, you know, basic supply and demand economics dictates, you know, when you have oversupply, the price goes down. So essentially the value of the dollar as a currency declines. It's, it's not so much, I mean, if you just, just look at a car, it's not so much that the value of the car is appreciating and it costs more to buy it, it's that the value of the currency being used to purchase that car is going down. So it takes more of that currency to buy the car. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if anything with manufacturing efficiencies, et cetera, technology, cars should be less expensive to produce. And that, and, and when they calculate the CPI, they, they do hedonic adjustments that make mm -hmm. assumptions about, right. That, that make assumptions about, Oh, well, you know, the value of manufacturing efficiency and, and the technology now versus the 1970s, you know, we, you know, that's value added for this car. So we need to subtract that from the price of the car. <laughs> right. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's the hedonic adjustments, which no one really, we used to talk about it a lot 15, 20 years ago. And no one really talks about it anymore. I guess no one cares. It's like baked into the cake. So, there was geometric weighting, hedonic adjustment, substitution, some other things. It, yeah, about, substitution. Like, like yeah. you know, one of the things they say, oh, well, when the price of ground beef goes up, instead of buying the high-quality premium ground beef, people just substitute the lower-quality, you know, a, a grocery store-labeled ground beef. Well, no, I just pay more for the premium ground beef. I'm not going to eat the crappy ground beef yeah. until I can't afford the better ground beef. So, or substitute guess, chicken for beef, right? Oh, you should be eating leaner anyway. That goes in with all of their you know, healthy initiatives. And I think a lot of the healthy initiatives have been getting people away from premium products that they like and a cheaper product. So eat more chicken and broccoli. I don't know about Dallas, but in Denver, the price of chicken and the price of beef are going up about the same amount. <laughs> they are, which is why I think the, the CPI number, you know, based on all the crap that they did for years to that, it doesn't cover it up anymore because if everything's going up, you can't really substitute as easily. And oh, everything's going up. Tofu for beef. <laughs> yeah. So, so just just to kind of circle back. Yeah. I mean, hiking hiking interest rates for sure will affect. You know, I hate the word demand destruction because I don't necessarily think hiking interest rates, unless you did it the way Volcker does it, 
you know, causes demand destruction. But um, what the Fed needs to do is reverse out a lot of that liquidity that they put into the system over the last two years. Yeah. And I mean, they, they could start, I mean, if they were serious about attacking inflation, they would start shrinking the balance sheet quickly. Well, yeah. since they've been talking about shrinking the balance sheet since what, last fall? And they haven't done it yet. Last fall, they haven't done anything yet. But in fact, yeah. the, the size of the balance sheet has increased since last fall. Hmm. And I was looking at it yesterday and it's kind of plateaued. So we'll see over the next couple of months if it comes down. But, you know, everyone knows about the reverse repo facility and how it's grown from, you know, it was under a trillion the overnight reverse repo facility. And that basically takes excess liquidity in the banking system. And I call it holding it in suspended animation for success of 24 hour periods. And the Fed pays the bank. And I, I don't even know what the reverse repo rate is now. Um, it's, it's probably what half a percent, three quarters of a percent. I don't know if they raised it yesterday with, with the interest rate hike, but so banks are actually incentivized to do this reverse repo. And if the Fed wasn't doing this, I think we'd see even worse price inflation because you'd have that 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 liquidity circulating either in the financial markets or the real economy. So if they wanted to shrink their balance sheet and really attack inflation, they would just turn the twenty the overnight reverse repo operation, which now has over two trillion dollars in it, they would they would turn that into a permanent open market operation and destroy that currency. And, and that'll that'll start to get at the heart of what is really causing the inflation. Yeah, and it's interesting you point out, you know, the economic definition of inflation is of the monetary supply and prices come later. Why, Dave, um, why then are they blaming everything on the supply chain issues? Why aren't we talking about the monetary end of this and how important is that to what's going on right now? Because every government and every central bank with failed policies needs a scapegoat, right? Mm -hmm. And and this and the scapegoats become sillier as the system goes further down the road of collapse. And there's millions of examples over the course of history that we could cite for that. But it, it's just it's easy to point to the supply chain to blame what your problems, you know, the, the price problems. Or now over the last couple quarters companies, well, I guess not the last couple of quarters, the latest quarter quarterly earnings reports, you know, revenues may have been flat, costs went up, or revenues even declined for a lot of companies, and they blamed the Ukraine war. You mm -hmm. know, like, like you're selling Adidas sneakers in the United States. Oh, well, <laughs> our sales declined because of the Ukraine war. I mean, it's just right. absurd. And, it, it, you know, the, it, probably the, the, the most absurd extreme example and I, I almost fell off my chair when I heard it for the first time, I don't know, maybe a month ago, Biden was giving a speech and I really can't stand listening to him. I, I just happened, it was on the, the news and I happened to have the volume on, which is rare. And and uh, he referenced Putinflation, <laughs> and, and, you know, and and he's he, he's calling the, the, the hike in the price of oil, the Putin price hike of oil. And that's that's <laughs> simply not the case. <laughs> Yeah, I I think that we've had issue. I mean, the commodity complex, and now that you bring up energy, the whole commodity complex is in most things are in supply deficit because we just haven't invested in them. And that might be a good sort of transition into talking about the mining stocks. They, When we look at the mining stocks, for years they suffered at a lack of investment. Uh, I think 2011 was a nice little peak there. 
a lot of money flush coming into the mining complex. You know, 11 years later, we're sitting somewhere around half. It's usually somewhere around half of what we were in 2011. And that's true for the base metals, the precious metals. Um, oil may have done a little bit better, but it's it, it's the lack of investment and it's that things are getting a bit harder to find. So it would seem, therefore, Dave, that the thesis for rising mining stocks would be there over the next two to three to four years. Why aren't they going up and why are they so cheap right now? Well, I mean, there's there's actually a little more to unpack than just looking at the mining stocks. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you got to look at what's going on with the price of gold and silver, obviously. And um, I mean, honestly, for the mining stocks themselves, I would say I would I would say that the sell off that's occurred over the last couple months is really, you know, I'm not, I don't have the time to run the regression statistics on it, but it's probably 95 to 100% correlated with the sell-off in the stock market. Mm -hmm. And and a big part of that is is hedge funds are levered up and they 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 invest all across all markets. They they can be among the the largest momentum players in mining stocks and we had a big rally that started at the end of January and took us, you know, I don't have the chart in front of me. Well, I guess I could have the chart in front of me. It took us the, the Huey or the GDX increased like forty percent between the end of January and mid-April. So mining stocks certainly weren't going down then. Yeah. And what they've done, what they've done since then, is basically retraced that that rally. So um, you think the rally didn't have legs, maybe because the broader market was in a yes. downturn and people are seeing yes. and what happens is, I mean, hedge funds are levered up yeah. and when they, when they have to sell, they have to sell everything that has a bid because mm -hmm. otherwise they're going to get a margin call or margin calls and, you know, they can go out of business. I mean, we're, we're watching yeah. tiger global management, you know, liquidate and probably, I know they're letting people go. They probably have to close several of their funds. Their performance mm -hmm. has been so horrible. Maybe they've been able to save themselves from margin calls. I don't know. But I mean, if you look at GDX, it's it's sitting right at a support level that goes all the way back to the end of September, 2021. So it's kind of you know a make or break area for the mining stocks. But I mean, quite frankly, if the stock market continues to head south and does so violently, you know, we we could see the mining stocks go with it temporarily, and that's what we saw in 2008. And, and in February and March 2020. But at some point, and I think today's a good example, at some point, the mining stock, well, what will happen is gold and silver will all of a sudden diverge positively from the rest of the market. Um, and, you know, that's another thing, just as a sidebar, when you're talking about gold and silver, you really have to talk, it's a bifurcated market. You really have to talk about the Western paper gold and silver market and the mm -hmm. Eastern Hemisphere physical market. And we don't have to get into that. That's a, that's a whole podcast. But well, I'll, I'll say one thing to that point. Sure. The Shanghai gold is trading up for the year, and it's a, a more physical delivered market. And it's not you know trading up that same way in the Western markets. And if you look at a graph of the prices overnight versus the prices when it opens in New York, it's a big difference. And so the Chinese yeah. want to want to bid up the price of gold. 
but they're not the dominant market. And that's why, you know, you don't see prices quoted in Chinese yuan and, and you don't see that upper movement. But there's certainly, you know, Asia Pacific area, people are buying gold. Yes. Well, India is a good example. I mean, with with the with the import duty and then the premium over and above mm-hmm. the import duty that's required for gold to flow into India, you know, and I, I, I guess off the top of my head, I would just say Indians are, you know, like when they buy gold, they're paying close to $200 over what you would look at and see as the spot price. In Vietnam, and I, I know Vietnam used to be the fifth largest importer of gold. I don't know where they stand on that now, mm-hmm. but you know, especially with co- countries like Russia have, have really ramped up their gold importation. But um, the the premium, the, the most recent one I saw, which was last week, I haven't seen it quoted this week. Um, the, the Vietnamese were paying 500 bucks an ounce over the spot price of gold for an ounce of gold. So, you know, which market is real? Is it the paper derivative market that's unbacked by gold and silver? Is that the real price? Or is it the price that people are actually paying to have gold and silver physically delivered to their possession? Mm-hmm. Right. So, but what happens is, is gold, gold and silver, aside from manipulation, we don't have to get into that. That's a whole podcast, too. Um, you know, there's in the paper side of, of the market, it, you know, there's high correlation with the stock market, especially when you have, you know, abrupt sell offs like we've had over the last couple of months. So yeah. I think I think people are. So there's selling going on from hedge funds and large funds that are dumping everything, dumping Mm -hmm. mining stocks. And the bid side is kind of thin because people are saying, well, wait, I want to wait and see what gold and silver Mm -hmm. do before I decide to to make a leverage play on it. And I think that's what we've been seeing. But like today, as the Dow was going, and I'm just using the Dow instead, I I really track the S&P and the NASDAQ. But as the Dow was trading from down 500 to down 700, all of a sudden, I mean, you can look on the chart. I mean, gold shot up. Gold was as low as, and this is paper gold, was as low as 1818 earlier this morning mm-hmm. at at 8 a.m. Eastern, 745 a.m. Eastern, and now it's up to 1850. So, and it went pretty much straight up. And the mining stocks, and I wasn't really watching GDX, but I, I was watching, well, well, GDX was down probably a little bit north of 2% earlier this morning, and now it's up over 2%. And that's that's where I'm, what I'm talking about in terms of, you know, when, when things start to look really extreme, a lot of that money that's flowing out of stocks and out of bonds, I mean, um, treasury bonds are lower today, yields are higher. Uh, a lot of that money, instead of, instead of sitting on the sideline, people want to put it to work. Okay, where, where do I think I can earn a rate of return on it? Oh, gold and silver and the mining stocks. And so some of that money flows into the precious metal sector. And, and that's mm-hmm. why you see you start to see positive divergences in the precious metal sector when the rest of the stock market might be going down. And we saw that in late October, early November 2008. Yeah. When when the mining stocks, gold and silver bottomed out at the end of October and started taking off and the S&P kept going south and didn't bottom until late March. 2009 mm-hmm. and in 2020 it was a similar dynamic only it was like it was like in in fast motion i mean the if you recall the mining the precious metal sector started to rebound in march of 2020 probably mm-hmm. about a week ahead of the rest of the stock market yeah so, so let's talk let, let's talk crypto for just a sec 
I think you and I have long been critical of crypto in terms of it being a replacement for gold. I, I think the the quote that's circulating around is all the cryptos were worth three trillion, now they're worth one trillion, give or take. Doesn't seem like they were safe haven. It seemed like that's what people liquidated the most. They've had the biggest fall, Bitcoin's down more than the stock indices. What's going on with that? Do you think the cryptos are dead? Do you think they're coming back? What's your view on that? I mean, I've I've always felt like the cryptos were um I, I thought it was just another uh, obsession with over obsession with technology mm-hmm. and another vehicle for rampant speculation. I don't think the crypto boom happens if you didn't have such a, a massive increase in the money supply globally, not just the Fed printing money, but all the big central banks printing money. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I monitor a chart and I keep it saved. And it goes all the way back to when Bitcoin started trading in 2015, and I and I plot it versus the Nasdaq, and up until up until 2020, there's probably about a 80 I don't know 80 percent correlation in in the movement between the Nasdaq and Bitcoin, but then when the market rebounded in started rebounding in March 2020. Mm-hmm. The correlation is probably close to 95%. And so to me, that just shows in the NASDAQ tech stocks, you know, that's, that's a, that's a vehicle for speculative money for speculation. And, and, mm-hmm. and when bubbles happen, like we've had the, the speculation becomes rampant and, and you get a mania, you know, D- Dutch tulip bulbs, for instance, pet rocks. <laughs> um, and so, and that's that's basically, in my opinion, what's fueled Bitcoin as much as anything. And, and you know, it's I think supporting my case is this uh, over six year correlation with the Nasdaq. And the Nasdaq, I mean, as soon as the Nasdaq topped and started heading south uh, in November of 2021, and people can pull up the charts for themselves and see, that's when Bitcoin peaked and started rolling over. And I'd say that. Well, I, don't, I haven't done the percentage-wise, but in terms of um, the degree to which both have declined, I mean, it's almost identical. Uh, the NASDAQ has gone down a little bit faster over the last few weeks, but um, you know, part of that, I think, has to do with relative liquidity. I mean, Bitcoin's not exactly uh, super liquid, right? I, I, I mean, I've never traded it, but I've heard nightmares about trying to trade it, especially through um, coin exchanges. Right. So do you think at this point, um, Dave, people are going to finally stop calling and thinking of Kathy Wood as some sort of guru? (laughs) You mean Granny Bubbles? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's, I liken her to a cult leader, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like, um, How did how did Jim Jones get all those people? What are they? What are they? They drank poison Kool Aid or something? (laughs) Whatever it was. How did he get all those people to like commit suicide? Or the remember the Heaven's Gate cult out in Southern California? You know when that Hale Bop comet came around and they they were told that if they drank this purple Kool Aid, you know they they die and and end up as part of the tail of the comet and live forever. (laughs) You know, I mean. To me, Kathy Wood is a similar dynamic. Mm-hmm. And what's astounding to me is that 
she's still getting inflows and and she's she's like a, a human wealth incinerator <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like especially especially since since arc peaked i mean it's just like hey you want to turn a dollar into 75 cents give it to kathy wood to invest <laughs> You know, I have a friend who's really intelligent, a certain type of intelligence, and she's really smart and she can see big concepts and it's all big concepts. But one thing that she does lack is the ability to sort of ground that in good theory and, and do a working model. And, and Kathy reminds me of that. She understands big concepts, but doesn't have a practical bone in her body and can't implement something. You know what I mean? So she gets the big concepts of where society, you know, the flows in society may be going at a particular point in time. She's not good at implementing a system to actually capitalize on that. She's not a money manager. And she's only good at those high level concepts, as long as those high level buzzwords and concepts are being circulated. Right now, I think the narrative around investment in the market is changing quite a bit. And a, a lot of the, the thought around those concepts has evaporated. In other words, they were never truly implementable um, and so I think that's what's happening to her and why she doesn't understand it. And I, I think that's why so many people were behind her because she was speaking in terms of what a lot of the political, cultural, um, what do you call them? I don't know, establishment or thought police, if you will, were saying. And so she was getting a lot of support, but then the market doesn't support a lot of that garbage. And so now I think, you know, people are saying, okay, this is not practical. You know, we know, we know you understand the high level concepts. But this is never going to fly. So, by the way, all your companies are going to fail or they're going to liquidate. Well, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, there's these high level tech concepts. That's her thing, mm -hmm. right? Tech. Yeah. But it's, it, the thing of it is, is, is the barriers to entry to this technology are, are pretty low. You know, there's plenty of smart people who can figure out 20 different ways to create a tech widget. You know, whether it's cloud technology, delivery of cloud tech, whatever. And so it's like, what are you willing to pay for that to invest in it? Mm -hmm. And a lot of these companies were a lot of these companies that um, were funded by VCs and ended up going public. They're pure products of, of the money printing bubble. Yep. And if the Fed had never printed money, you would have never had this gross misallocation of capital. And I say gross misallocation of capital because almost all the companies she invests in that their their whole mantra is to grow revenues, but they grow revenues at the at, you know they spend money to grow revenues, and that's that's not a profit machine, and it never will be a profit machine. You have, and it's not just a scale thing because all these Zillow is a good example. It's like as its revenues grew, grew its operating losses grew right along with it, and a lot mm -hmm. of these other companies that she invests in these these silicon unicorns that that really should have never gotten beyond the VC stage, if that. You know, that's that's what their their financial model is. It's just we don't care what it costs. We're going to keep growing revenues. Well, what happens is, is the money to fund those things runs out. And especially if, if you haven't been able to take them public and all of a sudden, you, you know, you end up burning all your cash and you go out of business. And that's that's what's going to happen to a lot of these companies. I just saw an article a couple of weeks ago that said, for the most part, VC firms have stopped funding most of these companies. So, and, and, you know, this isn't her first time around on the dance floor of, of destroying a fund in the late nineties, she was running a, a tech hedge fund. And after it fell 84%, she shut it down. <laughs> so, 
How magnanimous. So I don't know if that's going to be the bogey for for Arc. I mean, Arc's yeah. down from its top, and this is just ballpark. Let's just say. So Arc is down seventy five percent from the top. So maybe another ten percent. She decides she has to close it down. <laughs> but what what to me what disgusts me about the whole thing is that she's made she's got you know made herself fab fabulously wealthy off of the fees that she's made from yes. her funds. Like, for underperformance. She's, she's wealthy for underperforming, Dave. Underperforming for taking people's for taking someone's hundred thousand dollars and turning it into into twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's worse is these people come back and say thank you. May I have another and keep throwing money at her. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, have you heard a uh, last question I got for you? Have you heard about the Uganda gold discovery? And uh, before you answer, I'm going to put it up on screen. So apparently, out of nowhere, and apparently nobody's ever. Has, has ever investigated Uganda. We've never had any exploration or drill rigs out there. Uganda, and this is on NASDAQ.com, so this is a reputable site. Uh, Uganda says exploration results show it has 31 million tons of gold ore. And this is from a Reuters reporter. Uganda on Wednesday said recent exploration surveys have shown it has gold ore deposits around 31 million tons, and it wants to attract big investors to develop the sector hitherto dominated by small wildcat miners. So I, I'm sorry, I'm mistaken. There are wildcat miners out there, I guess not any companies of, your, of repute. Uh, it says, over the last two years, aerial exploration was done, followed by geophysical and geochemical. Now, my first, I'll make a comment before I, I toss it to you. My, my first thought there is the geochemical and the aerial only show you geology that could be conducive to certain types of formations that may have gold in it until you drill that bad boy out. And if we're talking 31 million tons or whatever, you're going to have to spend millions of dollars, probably hundred million dollars drilling all that out. Do we really know what they have? And is that something that gold uh, holders should be worried about? I mean, I don't, are there any vehicles to invest in companies that are going to maybe start exploring there? I mean, sounds like they haven't done any drilling. So, like you point out, they have no idea what they have until they start drilling. Yeah. There is a Chinese company involved. Uh, Wagagi has set up a mine in Busia, B-U-S-I-A, in eastern Uganda, and was expected to start production this year. They've invested $200 million. So the Chinese have, a company has put $200 mm -hmm. million in this bad boy. And I know that I know that Africa is relatively underdeveloped in terms of actually mining it, although China spent a bunch of money going that direction. But, it, you know, what are the odds that Uganda has, what is it, 31 million tons of gold? I mean, that's. I mean, I, you know, if they're just, if they're coming up with that estimate based on, on aerial photography and geochemical mm -hmm. analysis, I mean, how do you, how do you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it sounds like, it sounds like, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not open-minded on it. Mm -hmm. I would like to see drill results. I'd like, you know, I mean, this Chinese company, do they release their their resource data? I mean, that it wasn't in that article. That. Yeah, and I hadn't followed up with that specific company. It wasn't in the article. And you would think if they had really big drill results, that'd be part of the article. So I'm almost thinking it could be a couple of different things. It could be 
yeah, maybe they've done some preliminary work and they're excited about it. And maybe Uganda is basically saying our doors are open, come invest in us. You know, we've got something here that's shiny, come spend a bunch of money. Right, and on that it. could be, yeah. And that's, again, I'm saying I'm, I'm open-minded on it, mm-hmm. but you know, I need to see some actual drill results and it doesn't have to come from, you know, it doesn't have to be Newmont going in there and drilling it out. Newmont's a big operator in West Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be that. Let You know, when they say wildcat, you know, explorers, I don't know if that means frustrated geologists at big bureaucratic <laughs> places that raise a million dollars. And, and, and I don't know if you buy the land or you lease it there or however that works. And then they yeah. drill, you know, start drilling it. I would like to see that. I mean, yeah. it, it sounds to me, as you point out, it sounds like it's a little bit of a hype article, but, and, and maybe it will attract capital and who knows, maybe there really is something there. You know, I need to reach out to some of my geologist friends because that that would be the first time in human history you have that much gold in one place. And the question is, the way that minerals form, you know, from the magma typically that comes up and the ways that it comes up, could you ever actually get 31 million tons in that area? And if so, you know, what kind of magma flows are you having? It's an interesting thought that I'm going to do some research on and come back to the channel and talk about. But it's been in the news, and I've only heard a couple of people report on it. A couple of my listeners were telling me in my YouTube video the other day and sent me the article. And I'm like, well, I mean, there's the article. It looks like a legitimate article, but it's just lacking info for sure. So, I mean, it's not necessarily impossible. I mean, West Africa, you know, would fit inside of Texas, and it's now the largest gold mining region in the world. So, okay. um, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I was – I didn't have time to do it, but, you know, I need to pull up a, a, a map of Africa to see where, where Uganda sits relative to West Africa. And West Africa is not the only gold-producing area of Africa, obviously, but, um, I mean, anything's possible. But let's see some drill results. Well, let's see. It's in between the Democratic Republic of Congo and Kenya and south of Sudan. No, it's on the eastern side. Copper mines. It's on the eastern side, right around that. Well, I won't show the map, but yeah, it's definitely an eastern Africa. Yeah, no, there's there's plenty of mineralization there, and plenty of of all mm-hmm. kinds of metallic mines. So it's possible. Depending on if that's true, the amount, and if it's economic, it's not highly dispersed over an entire right. country. That's a whole other issue is it economic? Yeah, somebody needs to go in and drill it and tell us what they can actually get out of it. But man, yeah. if you're anywhere close to 30 million tons, doesn't that completely change the ar- the argument around the supply demand factors for gold quite a bit, I would think. Hey, if, if I had, you know, $50 million sitting around, I'd take some of it, hire, <laughs> hire you know, a good geologist that I know and go over there. You know, why not? <laughs> hey, Dave, let's take a field trip over there and see if we can, you know, just find some nuggets on the ground. Or it'd, be fu- it'd be fun to do something like that for sure. It would be. All right, Dave, well, thanks for income. <laughs> yeah, thanks for stopping by the program again. Wanted to have you on because I think you're very well grounded in monetary theory and good trading techniques. And there's a lot of irrationality going on the market right now. So I appreciate you coming on and giving us your opinions on what's going on and, and what you see down the road. Uh, thanks for having me on, and I, I appreciate it. And good to see you. So if people want to get your newsletters or want to reach out to you, how do they do that? So my website is Investment Research Dynamics, and there's links at the top to that if you want information on my mining stock journal or my short seller's journal. 
predictably have gotten a lot more new subscribers to the short seller journal lately than the mining stock <laughs> journal. But yeah, at some point that'll reverse. Is the number one recommendation recommendation just a short arc? Is that the easy one? <laughs> it was for a while. The easy money's been made. It's only got $37, $37 of downside right now. Yeah. Um, I still think, I still think Tesla is one of the best shorts in the market. Yeah. You know, I was looking at Tesla's cause I, I briefly with gas prices thought about hybrids and EVs and I was looking at EVs and I think he's got a lot more competition. You realize I didn't realize this, but you have Volvo putting out a new company called Polestar. You've got all yeah. of these different EVs and the, the car and the small SUV segment. And I was looking at quality and Tesla's not the best on quality even anymore. They're writing on their name, but a lot of the materials inside are like cheaper plastics and stuff than you can get in some of these other vehicles. So well, I they think they're legitimate. Yeah, there's a legitimate competition for Tesla's now. Yes, yes. Uh, the the Hyundai Ioniq 5, I think it's called, mm -hmm. is probably going to become the hottest selling EV globally within the next six months. If yeah, it's, the, the, Hyundai, know, if the Hyundai... It's yeah, the Hyundai's and the EVs and the hybrids are ranked like by car and driver and Edmonds is some of the best ones in their class. So I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing a good job. Yeah, Hyundai, Kia, uh, mm -hmm. Audi, the the Ford Mach-E, which just got a recall on its Mach-E's. And I don't remember what the nature of the recall. It just was that thing came out yesterday or the day before. But I know just visually around where I live and there were... For a while, I kept seeing tons of new Tesla Model 3s mm -hmm. and Model Ys. Now I'm not seeing very many brand new Teslas on the road. I'm seeing a ton of Mach-E's. I've seen a bunch of Polestars. Yep. Um, I've seen the I've Volvos. Seen, seen the, Hyundai. the Hyundai's a beautiful car. Yeah, it is. And I've seen the Volvos. I've seen a lot of EVs out there now that I know what I'm looking for and I've researched. And I see them all over the place. Yeah, the Volvo, the, the first iteration on the Volvo, um, I think it had some quality issues, but my understanding is what they're putting out now is awesome. And all mm -hmm. these companies advertise, at least I see them advertised during sporting events on TV. I don't watch a lot of commercial TV, but, yeah. um, and, you know, Tesla doesn't advertise. They don't want to spend the money on it. They, for a while, they didn't have to. But it's, yeah, it's they're going to have com competition issues going forward in a major way. And obviously, quality control issues. Yep. Um, and the NHTSA just released a report yesterday that showed that of the of the accidents, collisions, and and death deaths from those collisions from from autopilot technology, by far the majority was connected to Teslas. So that's wow. not going to help them either. Yeah. Yeah, that'll definitely show up. So, okay, well, thank you, Dave. Appreciate you. Uh, hang on right after the recording. Uh, I want to chat with you for a minute, but thanks for joining the program again. Thank you.